Central. This is Tech Radio. All things computers, gadgets and web happening right now in Ireland. Hear us anytime on iTunes or download from techcentral.ie. Central. How you doing? This is Dusty Rhodes and welcome to Tech Radio for this week with all the latest in tech from around the country and across the world. However, if you got our show today, downloading it from our website at techcentral.ie using a smartphone podcast app or listening on DAB Digital Radio with RTE Radio 1 Extra. Thanks for checking in with us. Joining me as ever is Editor-in-Chief of Tech Central, Niall Kitson. This week we're going to be talking about uh, Google and Yahoo who are both on the extreme opposite ends of the news uh, with what they're up to this week. Uh, some hints about the new Samsung Galaxy 7. Um, and we're also going to be talking to a guy actually from Google News Labs who are kind of really gearing up at this stage for the general election and the whole news side of Google. And this particular interview that we have for you is just fascinating how the whole election is going to be tied in with Google and journalists and information and all of that. More on that later. But first, Niall Kitson, you are a massive rugby fan. Six Nations kicks off this weekend. I, uh, I'm i not a rugby fan, but, you know, big television events, I would be what I call a second screener. So I'm watching one screen is the TV and the other screen is something on my phone or whatever, talking with people. You're going to outdo me like crazy on the rugby. I Tell am. me how. I might even be, well, a second screen for sure, but yeah. possibly a third and a fourth screen as well. A fourth um, screener. <laughs> so this is how it's going to break down, okay? okay. Now, mostly sort of, uh, most of us have friends or family that are distributed around the world now. They've, they've had to leave for whatever reason. So naturally enough, you're going to want to keep up with them and enjoy the bit of banter for the game. So uh, that's straight away you're into using WhatsApp or Viber or FaceTime or uh, any other sort of messaging service that runs over your Wi-Fi instead of worrying about your calls or your texts or anything like that, right? So that's your second screen down. Uh, but then you might also want to keep up with the conversation on Twitter, Say you follow any particular pundit that you find interesting or, uh, you know, maybe you have a completely different set of friends on Twitter, which I know a lot of people do. So there's my third screen. Uh, and my fourth screen is uh, various rugby apps that I follow that would deliver information about the game in real time. So you would see statistics like, you know, percentage of uh, possession and territory and that kind of thing. And it gives you an interesting sort of piece of ancillary information to help you enjoy the game. So there you go. Four screens. Do you know what? If I decide I'm going to look at boards as well, we could even get up to five, but then I'm probably not watching the match. So. All right. You see, <laughs> I immediately have a picture of you sitting there with a white cat in your lap and stroking the thing going, being expecting you, Mr. Famous Rugby Player, whoever it is, um, with all those screens monitoring everything that's going on in the world in front of you like an evil overlord. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or like the architect in the Matrix or something like that. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah, my God. And, uh, and please don't tell me that you've got a smart TV because the thought of one of those screens already being used for two purposes is just blowing my mind. Yeah. Well, we can we can talk about smart TV a little bit later because there, there is a tie-in. But anyway, that will be my Six Nations experience for well, this year. You sit back and you enjoy. Let's get on with the news stories of the week. And let's talk about uh, Alphabet and Yahoo. They're kind of both at uh, opposite ends of the scale because Alphabet is at the big, most successful end of the scale. They, are, of course, are the company that own Google. Yeah, I don't know if it's if you could say that Alphabet own Google. Alphabet is now the brand that that encompasses everything 
the company formerly known as Google used to do. Mm. <laughs> so, uh, but that's what that's what have... they did. That's what they did. Uh, you yeah, because Google itself it kind of grew and it grew and it grew, and they were doing all these other crazy, uh, brilliant things. And they went, but this is all under the Google brand, and it's not exactly what it was. So they have got like a mothership uh, company called Alphabet overseeing everything, and Google is one of the divisions, and I'm sure you know, kind of the self-drive cars is another division, and so on and so forth. Uh, yeah, kind of. That's that's the way it breaks down now. And it makes perfect sense. It's just people would have gotten so used to, you know, Google as being the brand that you kind of uh, expect that would mm. carry along. But uh, Google is actually where pretty much all the revenue for uh, Alphabet comes from as well. So we're not going to see that that brand disappear or be uh, morphed into something anytime soon. So uh, Alphabet is now officially the world's biggest company based on their Q4 financials that were released during the week. They pulled in between search and advertising revenue $74.5 billion. I, I, don't, even, I don't even... Per, what, per quarter? Per quarter, that was the last quarter. I was about They're, to compare uh, that to the, what, the $36 billion that Ireland turns over in a year. They do twice that every three months. Yeah, wow. that's, that's about the size of it. And the scale of Google now, like they have 1 billion um, daily users, apparently, of six services, Android, Maps, Play, um, Search, Chrome, and let's see, Gmail. That's the last one. There you go. How could I forget Gmail? <laughs> and uh, that is an awful lot of eyeballs if you're looking to sell ads to people, especially little text ads, little programmatic ads, that kind of thing. Uh, so it's it's pretty amazing scale of things. But there is a downside. Um, as we all know, Google is a company that also likes to experiment an awful lot. And a lot of those experiments are the things that keep us very excited about what Google are doing. Like uh, you're very impressed with Google Voice Search, mm-hmm. are you not? I am very impressed. Uh, and it's getting better all the time. Uh, I think it could do it a little bit more personality like um, Siri or Cortana. No, you know? no, no, <laughs> no. I don't want my computer or my phone pretending that it's a nice person. I just want to be able to say things to it and it to go, okay, Dusty. <laughs> You're happy enough with that's, that. That's it. Yeah. Don't get personality in it. You know, <laughs> I apologize. I apologize. Yes, I should do that with my, uh, okay, Google, note to self. Calm down. <laughs> but, well, fair enough. Okay, so they, they're working on um, various other projects, like uh, they've got their AI division, uh, which, of course, ties in with uh, Google Voice Search. They also have uh, investments in the Internet of Things. For example, you know that they own Nest, which is uh, the company that owns uh, the learning thermostat, which is, uh, you, know, you probably use a Nest or have used it or know somebody that owns one. Do you? No, I've, I've seen them in the stores and... <laughs> Easy. <laughs> I've seen him in the stores and looked at them and went, ooh, nah. <laughs> yeah, well, for anyone that doesn't know what it does, uh, the Nest thermostat apparently learns how you use your central heating. So it takes notice that, say, every day um, the kids come home from school, they turn on the heating at four o'clock. Nest will figure out, OK, you turn on the heating at four o'clock. And it does that for you. So it takes sort of uh, an element out of managing your household from you. It's part of the Internet of Things, this um, sort of paradigm where you have machines talking to machines instead of mm. machines talking to people. And it's meant to like, make your life easier. So that's that's one example of it. Uh, another is um, the driverless car initiative that Google is doing at the moment, uh, which apparently... Uh, 
if you believe the hype, the cars are safer than their human pilots. So uh, uh, although occasionally a dri- human drivers do have to take uh, take the wheel, it's usually to react to other things that other human drivers are doing. So a driverless car might be technically correct in what they're doing, but sometimes you need a, a human in charge just in case you know you need to slam on the brakes or uh, veer, uh, make a, a sharp turn or something like that to, to save yourself. So uh, another... Um, uh, project that they have is uh, called Project Loon. I don't know if you've come across this. I haven't, no. This is uh, delivering broadband to difficult parts of the world to get through, uh, to get to through hot air balloons. Yes. They have internet connected hot air balloons. Yes, yes. Yeah. I'm to- I just, uh, the, the name slipped, but uh, I definitely have, I've, I've heard the thought. All right, yes. Yeah. Uh, and they have uh, their own broadband project called Google Fiber, which is about um, delivering gigabit broadband to uh, various parts of America. They're sort of targeting um, poorer areas at the moment, I believe. But I mean, all these, they call them big bets or, or moonshots. Uh, these projects cost an awful lot of money. And in the past year, it, they have cost a combined $3.6 billion for Google. And yet this is the sort of, I don't want to say fantasy stuff, but you're let's say it anyway, this is sort of fancy stuff that Google can get away with doing. I mean, you, you look at entire companies would sort of look at these projects and go, do you know what? I would love it if that was my business, but uh, can't afford it. Too audacious, too expensive, whatever. Google can afford to do this and absorb the cost. They, they can afford an awful lot of things. To well, spend. let's put it this way. Based on the numbers that you gave us earlier, where they're turning over 75 odd billion a quarter, that means that they're uh, generating maybe 300 billion a year, uh, which means that 3 billion a year spent on moonshot projects is 1% of the turnout. It's nothing. It's all right. Yeah. You, you and I yeah. would spend more of our, you know, um, what do they call it? The, the amount of money that we have to spend at the end of the day. Our disposable income. A disposable. We'd spend more of our money on disposable income on, on gadgets. <laughs> oh, I'll try. Oh. I'll try that new Nest thing. It's rubbish. And then throw it out. <laughs> <laughs> or take it to computer exchange or do something. Yeah. Well, there, there, there you go. Tell me about the other side of it now, getting away from uh, uh, Google and, uh, and Alphabet. What about Yahoo? They're, they're in the news for the opposite reasons. Yeah, pretty much the the other scale of things. I mean, you you have one internet company doing fantastically well through having lots of high profile products, lots of lots of things with wow factor um, that really sort of uh, have grabbed people at an international level. And on the complete opposite end of the scale, you have Yahoo, a company that has been in crisis for as long as I can remember. Because you remember, it was one of the first big internet giants. You know, it's like we'll be a search company, and then. They were very good at search, but then Google kind of smashed that market and and took it off everybody. Then they sort of went, okay, now we're a content company. And they started making things like, um, you know, news services, financial services, all this kind of thing, um, and have had to ditch quite a few of them. Now, apparently, Yahoo's um, uh, financial news apparently is still excellent, still second to none. Um, But... You know, they, they've had a bad experience with content. They they took on the sitcom community. I don't know if you watched that when it was on. No, I didn't. Um, no. Uh, I find it a bit hard as a show to to warm to, but it has a massive cult fan base and uh, it got cancelled. Um, Yahoo said, right, we'll take this on. It'll be our flagship sitcom as part of our new content offering. We'll get people from, you know, Amazon and Netflix and all this kind of thing. And it bombed incredibly. I don't, I just don't think it resonated with the fans. Uh, they're now looking for a film to tie up the, the whole thing. Um, but yeah, they've had a bad experience with content. They just haven't been able to find their feet in it. The only thing that still works for them really 
really is uh, Yahoo Mail, which is still very popular in the States. Uh, and of course, it's taken Alibaba. Uh, which has been incredibly successful for them. I mean, could you imagine getting in on the ground floor with uh, eBay and just having a load of eBay shares? I remember somebody uh, I was talking to only last week who said they were uh, offered 2% of U2, like back in the late 70s. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So same thing, I suppose, where you're kind of going, Alibao, yeah, yeah, I know, I know. But then again, can you imagine being, you know, kind of uh, getting in on the ground floor with MySpace? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I guess there are cautionary tales everywhere. Yeah. It's always, well, always you, a chance. One thing that is quite interesting, I, uh, Yahoo lost, um, I think it's 4.4 billion in the fourth quarter. Hmm. So it, it's the total mirror image to how Alphabet are doing. But uh, one of the things that I, I, I feel kind of sorry for them about was um, the advent of smart television. I, mean, I remember in 2007, 2008, um, seeing the first smart TV platforms and they were collaborations between Samsung and Yahoo. And I thought, oh, right, that's kind of interesting because, as you know, Yahoo was working on widgets before pretty much anyone else. Um, although does anyone, I guess widgets were sort of the, the proto apps, really. Yeah. Would you agree? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and you sort of, uh, you go, why weren't Yahoo really on top of this stuff? You know, now mm. smart TV is, is Android and people are used to an, using Android apps. Um, Yahoo is definitely getting out of that. And the way that Yahoo is talking about itself as a company, it pretty much sounds like everything is up for grabs. It's like, oh, we have this part of our business. You want to buy it? Yeah, that's fine. Okay. Uh, you want this part of the business? That's fine. We, we will talk about that as well. They, they just seem interested in holding on to the core brand and their Alibaba shares, and maybe their their mail service as well. Yeah, and, and that's kind of it. Listen, uh, the last story on the news this week is Samsung Galaxy. Of course, we've got Mobile World Conference coming up in the next week or two, later on in the month. Um, and rumours are starting to abound already about what the Galaxy S7 might contain. What are, what are the top rumours you're hearing? Yeah, you're pretty excited about this because you're you're a Galaxy S kind of guy. Um, do you still using the Note? Uh, I'm still on the Note 4, didn't bother with the Note 5, so I am primed, baby, for a Galaxy S7 big time. Okay, right, so uh, the Note that you have is what, a 5-inch screen, 5-something? It's 5-something, yeah. 5-something, okay. Well, according to rumours, there will be two versions of the Galaxy S7. One is a 5.1-inch flat screen. Uh, and one is a 5.5-inch Edge model. So that's that's kind of up around your neck of the woods, yeah? Oh, man. Yeah, then listen, when I start saying that's too big, you know you're in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> so you won't be putting that in your pocket anytime soon unless you I don't think like so. I, I actually have a ruler in front of me and the Note 4 because I don't know offhand what it is, but the actual mm. screen... Oh, no, hang on a second. No, I tell a lie. I tell a lie, my goodness. Uh, the screen uh-huh. that I have is uh, just over five and a half inches. Okay, right. Well, right. So this, this but I would say oh. that the screen that I have now, a lot of people, more and more people are starting to say, oh, that's a nice phone, nice and big. And so I'm kind of getting a lot of that. But I really do think it's it's getting on the big side of big screens. Yeah. Okay. Well, okay. Here's two two little bits of bits of uh, information. I, I, and by the way, this, this is probably going to be announced at Mobile World Congress later on this month, they reckon yep. the 21st of February. Um, but there are two things you may or may not find interesting about it. One of the things about the uh, S6 people were annoyed about was the lack of a micro SD card. Mm-hmm. Uh, as I guess, I, I think it was one of the things that sort of put you off it a little bit as not, not as a purchasing decision, but as a, you know, I don't like it because kind of but the two things that put me off buying it were it had no SD card and also that you, you couldn't change the battery on it. And I just went, right, not going near it. 
Yeah, just being completely self-contained sort of annoyed a lot of people. So the rumor is micro SD is coming back, which is great. You'll be able to expand your memory to to your heart's content. Uh, on the downside, uh, probably not the downside, but on, on the stuff we're going to foist upon you that you don't know you want yet side, um, it is going to still be using micro USB as a, a charger instead of USB-C, which you are mm. delighted about because does anyone really care about USB-C yet? Uh, not yet, but it's coming. And I'd much rather them doing that than doing an Apple thing with, uh, oh, look, it's the lightning connector. It's going to be as popular as Firewire. Yeah, <sighs> yeah, mm. fair enough. Mm. Uh, I think USB-C is, is inevitable. Uh, it's just hard to drum up any enthusiasm for it, you know? Well, we'll be drumming up lots of enthusiasm for Mobile World Conference. Of course, we'll have full coverage of that uh, coming towards the end of February for here, here for you on Tech Radio. But for now, Niall Kitson at Tech Central HQ. Uh, thank you very much for all the news. This is Tech Central, your weekly tech podcast from Ireland's techcentral.ie. Okay, so we've had Niall with the news. Now let's have Niall from a couple of days ago earlier on in the week when he went to Google and specifically to Google News Labs in Dublin here in Ireland and spoke to a guy called Matt Cook about how Google's going to be in overdrive for the election. And it's very interesting how Google can tailor the news as a tool for journalists. Take a listen. I'm out at Google's offices in Barrow Street today and I'm meeting with Matt Cook. So Matt, just to introduce the idea of um, the coverage of elections through Google and through technology at large really, um, how are we seeing interest in the political process evolve? Either, you know, are we seeing just younger people getting more interested in politics or are people enjoying a more sort of a rounded appreciation of what's going on? I think it's really interesting to look at elections. People always contrast and compare to what the technology landscape looked like the last time everyone got around to talking about the big general election in whatever country. So when you think about uh, the technology that was available just five years ago, uh, the number of people using smartphones, the number of people uh, on various social media platforms, and just generally the way that people behave and the internet tools they use, uh, in five years a lot can happen. Um, so that's one note. I think general elections are always quite good moments, almost like the end of the year, to look back and see what people uh, are doing and how they're sort of using various tools. I think uh, certainly looking at the uh, forthcoming Irish election, I think it's going to be interesting to see a few things. Uh, one, how... Uh, the political parties and the organisations, including broadcasters and publishers and journalists, how they go after audiences uh, with their content and with their messages, the kind of platforms they think about to get their message out there. Are they looking increasingly at uh, social media much more than they were five years ago? If not, why, maybe? Uh, And also, uh, are they thinking about the kind of different media? So, People are used now to watching uh, videos on their mobile phones. They're used to getting short-form video content uh, as they go to work. They also, of course, want the considered pieces, the 
the formal bulletins and the formal uh, articles, but they also want information uh, on the basics as well. So I think that's interesting to see the kind of different uh, tools and different uh, media that's available that wasn't there five years ago. When you're thinking about members of the public and how behaviours might have changed there, when you look at something like um, Google Trends, which shows you how people are, uh, what they're kind of looking for on, on Google, on YouTube and Google News, for example, that shows you at election times people do go to search engines and they do go to, the, to their websites to look for fundamental answers to their questions so literally what does uh, in the uk for example during one of the big tv debates one of the trending questions was what does the word referendum mean what does the word austerity mean so uh, people do go online to look for fact checking and also to look for uh, the answers to some of their more basic questions perhaps I think one of the interesting things uh, in America at the moment with their presidential uh, debate is the candidacy of Donald Trump, uh, where you might find that he is incredibly popular on social media and through uh, trending topics, but not, not necessarily for the reasons that he would expect or hope for. Well, whoever your favourite candidate is, and obviously... Um, uh By the time this podcast goes out, we may know who America's favourite candidate is on both sides. Um, The search interest shows, yes, people go on to look for information about the people they see on TV, the the YouTube videos they find. Uh, And in the US, Donald Trump certainly has been uh, one of the most searched for political candidates uh, of this race. That doesn't mean to say, though, as you point out, that the sentiment is there. It doesn't mean people are looking in a positive or a negative way. It just means that he's the candidate in a lot of the polls uh, that have been provided by Google and Twitter and other places as well. He's the candidate that people are going online to look for more information on. Um, I think as well, this race with the US, we've seen lots of other interesting technological features coming out, things like 360-degree videos, um, 360-degree photospheres, lots of different types of um, technology being used to tell, for many, you know, uh, quite a long story. The US election is several months, I think, isn't it? So there are lots of tech ways that journalists and publishers and uh, campaigners can think about uh, using um many more so than certainly five years ago. Uh, I think one of the interesting points that you you raised about uh, 360 degree video as an aid to storytelling, uh, in the hands of journalists it can be very good at sort of setting the scene. In the hands of uh, a politician it could go very badly right, it could feel too much like a marketing exercise. Uh, Do you think sort of the the use or misuse of these kind of technologies could could end up maybe not making or breaking but certainly having uh, an effect on somebody's candidacy? Um, I wouldn't say that. I would say that with technology become, becoming more and more accessible, I mean, everyone has a smartphone now, really, in in, uh, in Ireland, that people now have the opportunity to make their own content. So, you know, certainly you're likely to see people sharing their views and their comments on places uh, like YouTube and other places. They'll, they're more able now to create a video to get their point of view across. Um But whether it's the candidates themselves or voters or publishers, uh, it really comes down to the trust that audiences have with the the content and whether they agree with your message or not. And obviously there'll be lots of views shared at election time. Uh, It really comes down to who uh, is putting that message out. So the technology is just there for people to embrace in their own ways. The message is still down to the creator. 
And when it comes to actually creating that content, uh, are we moving away from the stage where we we had, you know, the the snappy news story in print, where journalists are actually having to create packages now that when you click onto a story, you are expected to have the ancillary content there uh, as well as the, the meat and potatoes in text. I think that's one of the most interesting things is that I don't think there's an answer yes or no to that at the moment. People are still experimenting. Um, certainly with the US election, we're seeing lots of explainer videos which have uh, just visuals and just subtitles, no um, audio track from a reporter and they're the kind of things that people can watch on their way into work on the bus on their phone we're also seeing of course considered long-form written pieces which people still want and still need and share uh i think what is good is that you're seeing a real mix of different uh styles and i think when you're thinking about certainly connecting with younger audiences who are more used to maybe the social media environment um, and getting video and news stories when they want it that's only a good thing to have content that they can find as well as people who still want the more traditional side of things as well having a mix i think is really a a good thing at the moment and uh, when you look back on uh, sort of the sort of character or the or the effect that a campaign had on on the zeitgeist on on the technology what what sort of lessons have we picked up so far particularly in regards to the last um british general election where the discourse seemed to say one thing and the polls kind of kind of revealed another Well, there's a lot of discussion about the polls in the UK, of course. I mean, and when I think about the UK election, um, many people suggested that it was going to be the big digital uh, election campaign, almost mirroring what uh, happened in the US when President Obama was first elected. There's been some disagreement over whether it really was that uh, digital election that everyone was expecting it to be in uh, Britain. Some say that um, the parties embraced social media and um, organic and also promoted ads uh, online. Some say that compared to America and, and the kind of system they, they now have as a mainstream uh, campaigning system, that really the UK wasn't anything like the current situation in the US. Um, so lessons, I think social media is definitely a big factor in some of these big campaigns on both sides of the argument. Um, mobile video is something that I think really now we're seeing big campaigns uh, at an early stage getting those viral videos out they want people to share they're encouraging people to share their content um and also on lots of social media places we're seeing a lot of people being encouraged to declare their interest or declare their view uh, with things like you know um, emojis and and changing a, a twitter ribbon on your profile things like that um so still i think there's a big difference between politics and campaigning in the US to many um, situations in Europe but there are some lessons which I think are slowly but surely coming over Um, maybe we're picking the best bits or the ones which are most appropriate to our culture locally. Uh, and of course, one of the big buzzwords of the last few years has, has been citizen journalism. The, the idea that you know anyone with a smartphone and, and you know the ability to type can become a journalist. Uh, do you think that we're actually going to see maybe not the term die out, but maybe the appraisal of something as being an example of citizen journalism might change? So the example being that you know the Instagram picture, the Snapchat taken from the sidelines of a, a political uh, debate suddenly that might either become journalism or might be appropriated by a publication and then by that process be considered journalism? It's a good question. I think 
there are obviously different views on citizen journalism and um, some people call it user-generated content or kind of ugly phrases, UGC, uh, or eyewitness media, whatever you call it. I think the reality is it it's here. Um, and with everyone having a mobile phone in their pocket that's able to record audio, record video, and take you know, fairly high-definition photographs, it's a reality that there's going to be lots more content out there from lots of different providers, including publishers, including politicians, but also including members of the public. From my personal point of view, I think that's only a good thing. Um, I still think, though, that people want and look for uh, considered pieces of journalism from uh, editors and correspondents and reporters to analyse the story in an impartial way. But I think citizen journalism, or whatever phrase you attach to it, I think it's here, and I think it's developing. Um, I think if you look at some of the interactions that politicians have now with members of the public, they're soon captured on mobile phones, and they're soon uploaded to the web. So they do become uh, you know, video moments of the campaign when a politician is questioned by someone outside a shopping centre uh, and it's been recorded on a mobile phone. They also can shape the campaign in ways that you know, five, ten years ago just wouldn't have happened. And that was Niall Kitson talking to Matt Cook down at Google News Labs in Dublin here in Ireland earlier on in the week. Just before we wrap up the show, Niall's still here, of course. Um, Niall, we do our one more thing at the end of the show every week, stuff we couldn't get in on the podcast, but is on the website. What's our one more thing for this week? Yep, uh, our one more thing is which online e-commerce giant is looking to go toe-to-toe with Spotify? Ah, I know the answer to that. It's Apple. Well, they, they're doing that already. Try again. Oh, somebody else. All right. Answers at techcentral.ie, my friend. Check it out. That's it for our show this week. Do remember to keep in touch with Irish Tech News, with hourly updates and daily newsletters and more from techcentral.ie, as well as our own weekly tech radio show online. And, of course, every Friday you can hear us at 6 p.m. on DAB Digital Radio with RTE Radio 1X. Until next week, from myself, Dusty, and from Nile Tech Central HQ, thanks for listening. Take care. Get Tech Radio. Subscribe for free with iTunes or download on demand at techcentral.ie. Tech Radio is produced by digitalaudioproductions.com. Thanks for